Hello, I'm Joe Donoghue and we have another edition of the Scouted Football Podcast coming your way. As promised on the previous pod, it is a transfer special, seeing as the January transfer window has just come to a close. And from an under-23 perspective, it's been a pretty busy month. Um, big names, big performers from the first half of the season have moved to pastures new. Uh, Erling Haaland, Dani Olmo, Dejan Kulisevsky, to name but a few, have all moved on to, to bigger and better clubs. Um, we're going to get our teeth stuck into those moves, um, what they mean for the players, uh, f- for the clubs they've left and for the clubs they've joined and anything else we can really think of uh, along the way. Uh, our January Transfers edition is a two-parter. Uh, in the first episode, I'm joined by Scouted's very own Phil Costa, currently based in Germany, where a couple of big incomings and outgoings have taken place. Uh, then in, in part two, we'll be joined by Scouted's stateside representation, of course, that is Justin Sosa, uh, who is going to give us his two cents on the big moves and some others that may have not made the headline press. Uh, but for starters, Phil, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's been a short while, but it's very good to, to get chatting again. So how are things at your end? No, good, mate. It's always nice to be back. And like you said, it was, you know, a short while since we'd uh, since we chatted, but um, especially now it's a great time to, to come on and talk about things. So yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Phil, you split your time between Germany and London at present, and and so it's, you're pretty tuned into much of the happenings in the Bundesliga. So I suppose that's probably the best place to start for this for this January transfers special. Um, it's probably been one of the most exciting January windows for some time in Germany. Um, two very big moves, particularly from a scouted perspective. Uh, the biggest, of course, is uh, Erling Haaland swapping Salzburg for for Dortmund for the princely sum of, of you know twenty million euros, uh, as was his release clause. I, I think you'd have to have been living under a rock to have not seen how he's adapted uh, excellently to to life at Dortmund in this first uh, handful of games. Uh, but Phil, what are your immediate thoughts on on sort of the, the move itself? And and it's probably a foolish question, but how do you think he's settling in at Dortmund? I mean, yeah, it already looks like a natural fit uh, for Dortmund. They've they've been struggling in in central areas for for a good eighteen months now, maybe even two seasons. With you know, they tried to play Mario Götze up front, and he's not really that type of player, even though he's he's performed well. And Paco Alcácer, even though he started like a house on fire, he sort of fell off quite quickly. Um, and Lucien Favre has even tried Marco Royce up front as well, who. You know, he can play there, but it's not really where he does his best work. So, you know, they've been looking for for strikers for a while now. They've had, like, inquiries turned down for for some, you know, some decent strikers, like Odson Edward from Celtic, and, and they had Michi Bacuayi for a while, but he, he turned out to be too expensive. So this just looks like a really nice fit for both club and player. And, um, you know, the Bundesliga is a nice sort of, not easy transition, but a smooth one. Uh, from Austria, you know, the the language is similar for one. And, um, you know, the, the standard of the league while presenting a, a jump is not too different. Uh, the pace isn't too different. So that would have been nice and easy for him. And, you know, the we spoke about him fitting in nicely already. I mean, that's seven goals in, in 136 minutes now, uh, which is absurd, uh, from eight shots, no less. And, you know, this doesn't really come as much of a surprise to us because we followed him for a while. Um, you know, we we charted him during that crazy game against Honduras when he scored nine goals and and slowly we've been tracking his progress at Salzburg. And now to see him, you know, on the on the big stage is 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 quite incredible. And uh, like we said, it's not really a surprise to us. 
you're going back to your point there about you know it being a manageable step up. I suppose it is. It is an increment which, for a player of of Haaland's ability, it is a manageable step up, and you'd expect him to to hit the ground running as he has done. Um, and, and I suppose that you know the language that's going to make things a lot easier. The young squad that Dortmund have that's going to make the transition all the all the more simple um, as well. And and I suppose the, the the similar sort of breakneck style that Dortmund can play at at times, you know, with the likes of Ashraf Hakimi, Jadon Sancho, you know, even Marco Royce when they're going forward at, at pace. Um, that that's obviously going to suit um, Borussia Dortmund and, and Erling Haaland as well. Um, it, it seems quite daft to be speaking about a player moving on again so soon after arriving. But I mean, unless Dortmund become a super club anytime soon, is it is it safe to assume that that Haaland won't be ending his career there? This move was always going to be a stepping stone. I think no matter how Dortmund try and and work around it, this was always going to be the middle one before the big one. Uh, that's essentially how I view it, and I'm sure most. Um, we'll view it that way as well. Even her, uh, Harland and his, you know, and his representatives. So it was just about finding that perfect step for him, where he can gain the necessary experience, uh, improve as a player, you know, play at the top level, but also still have room for for someone else after that. So, you know, there was talk of Juventus and and maybe Manchester United, but I think for for a number of reasons, both of those weren't going to work. Um, despite their interest. Um, I mean, there was there was talk of RB Leipzig as well, but they sort of fell away fairly quickly with Timo Werner already at the club, which is, you know, uh, somewhat of a surprise, um, seeing as the Salzburg to Leipzig step has been one uh, often followed. Um, but yeah, I think it, it does seem daft uh, to think about it like that. But, you know, apparently there was a, there was a big exclusive in Build a few weeks ago that said, um, as of January 2021, there's a 75 million euro release clause that comes active in his uh, in his contract, which the uh, which Dortmund reluctantly agreed to, having, you know, they already apparently moved it up from 50 million, which is what Haaland and and Mina Raiola were initially pushing for. So, as I said, there's kind of this acceptance that this is going to be the the, the sort of in between move before his 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 eventual big one, whether that's to whoever you know, one of the big boys. Um, but what's so good about Dortmund is that they, they've they always known when to sell. So this is just normal for them, honestly. Uh, obviously, no one wants to lose their their best players. But, you know, with the likes of Usman Dembele, Pierre-Marie Aubameyang, obviously Lewandowski was was different, losing him on a free. But even with Jade and Sancho, there's, there's a sort of planning in mind where they find these guys young, they sort of mould them into what they need, make a title charge, uh, as best as they can, and then you know when these guys have, have sort of reached their ceiling at the club, they move them on for for good fees, and I think that's that's what's going to happen here, really. So it seems soon, even to think about that this time next year he could be moving on, but if he carries on like this, it's not going to be a massive surprise. Just before we we touched on perhaps Dortmund being probably the the best club for for Erling Haaland and his style to make that transition to a to a top five European league, um, stylistically. The, the club is obviously a very good fit. Is that more to do with the, the coach in Lucien Favre and his preferred way of playing, or or is it really to do more to do with the players around him? Do you think he'll build up a rapport with with the attacking players that are going to be supporting him at Dortmund? I think it's a mixture of both, honestly. Um, Dortmund under Favre have have always been quite suspect defensively, but where they shine is going forward. Um, 
you know, they, they are chance creation monsters. Like if you watch them regularly, um, there are sort of periods in the game where they just onslaught the the opposition back four. You know, there's chance after chance being created. There's shots being fired in from range and cutbacks coming in from both fullbacks. And obviously that's going to help for any striker. Um, you know, where the more chances they have, the more they'll score, even though for Haaland, he only needs a few. Um, so naturally that's instantly a good thing for any centre forward. Um, you know, and even the supporting cast around him, you know, Sancho, Brandt, Hazard, Royce, even these guys are uh, no strangers to hitting double figures in seasons as well. So I think while Dortmund maybe lack a little bit of defensive security to mount a serious challenge um, that can last over the, the course of the whole season, going forward, they are, you know, one of the most exciting teams to watch in Europe. And I think that would definitely have have come into uh, Haaland's thinking and, um you know, as I said previously, that they were really struggling for this talisman up front to work off and build around. And I think Lucien Favre has has found his man um, really nicely. And strikers are priceless. Uh, and to find one for, for that cheap, in, in, first of all, in January uh, is mad. But to also beat off such stiff competition speaks to, again, how Dortmund operate as a club and, and how they managed to convince him, but also how they play. You know, this is a good, this is a good sporting project. They're ambitious. And um, like, like, like we said, it just seems to work for everyone across uh, all parties, really. When we were planning this this episode, um, it was just before Haaland made his debut f- for Dortmund uh, earlier in, in January. And one of the things that I was planning on asking you was, um, you know, are we potentially looking at a 20 goal per season striker in a in a top five European league at the age of, you know, 19, 20? And, and I suppose that seems like a pretty foolish question now uh, with him having scored seven goals in three games. And... You know that's gonna that's gonna make a lot of headlines and stuff, and you're gonna get critics and people saying that you know he's just a he's a tapping striker or you know he's he's just in the right place at the right time. But I think it goes I think it goes a bit deeper than that because if you notice, whenever a teammate's taking a shot, uh, Erling Haaland he, he's following in as soon as that shot leaves the foot of of his attacking teammate. And yes, you know he might not be getting those tap-ins from keeper rebounds, but he's there. He's waiting in those right positions. That's something that he's either been coached excellently in or it's just instinct and I, I mean I have having watched a lot of of Erling Haaland I, th- I think it's probably more of the latter that he just he's so hungry to get that next goal that he's going to follow in he's going to be in those good positions much like a poacher but also have that now to you know not have to take that many shots I think it was what eight eight shots that he's taken in the Bundesliga so far and scored seven goals and he's going to be clinical and put them away and I think like you said, strikers are priceless. A clinical striker at, at the age of 19, 20 years old is 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 ridiculous, and and the output that he's producing is 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 better than Dortmund will have envisaged. But he's he's going to be playing as as you said with the likes of Sancho, Julian Brandt, Thorgan Hazard, Marco Royce. They're all sort of waiting in the wings. Who do you think sort of makes way in 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 that in that attacking setup? Because you know you can't fit them all in and, and without sacrificing. I don't know a centre-half or something, um, which Dortmund can't really afford to do, given their defensive frailties. If, if Haaland, given that he's only played effectively one and a half games in terms of the, his minutes total, it's safe to assume he's going to be the starting striker for the rest of the season. Who, who do you feel is going to make way from that team for, for him? I mean, I don't personally, I don't think it's about someone making way. I think they just need to 
sort of work around him as best they can. Like you said, there's there's such an impressive supporting cast in that side. And I don't think Haaland coming in means, oh, Torgan Hazard is, is going to be dropped now. I think Favre just chooses his players and his systems based on different games, who's on form, who's not, who he, who he likes in that particular scenario. And um, it's worth noting that Julian Brandt plays a bit deeper now as well, often alongside Axel Witzel, which obviously frees up another attacking space um, you know, for Marco Royce to play in. And his, his relationship already with Jadon Sancho has been so fruitful. Uh, they just seem to sort of understand each other already, which is such a huge bonus. Um, and it's crazy to think that they're both 19, you know, breaking records every every week by the looks of things now. And, you know, that's just a testament again to how they play and but also to the individuals involved. You know, as we were, we were mentioning earlier, this is a it looks to be already a guaranteed 20 goal a season striker and he's 19. You know, he always comes onto the pitch with this sort of aura, this confidence, almost almost like Kylian Mbappe when you just expect him to score. And, you know, you, you get that in Sergio Aguero, Robert Lewandowski, um, even, you know, like Cristiano Ronaldo as well, or Bamiyang. But, but these guys, they're just starting. They're just starting their careers. And, and Haaland just gives you this, it's confidence, but it's not like as Latan Ibrahimovic confidence where he thinks, you know, the world revolves around him. It's just confidence in his ability. And, you know, like you said, if he's in front of goal, he's scoring. It's not just the tap-ins. Um, well, like you said, it's that innate ability to follow in and knows, know where the ball's going to drop, which again is so useful for a striker. But, you know, we've seen in that comeback win against Augsburg when he, he was sort of playing on the shoulder and, um, you know, even even some nice strikes where he's linking up on the edge of the box. And, you know, there's more to his game than you might think, even though he he's not the sort of Firmino-type forward that will bring others in. But he's, you know, he's more than capable of holding his own in a in a technical front line like that. And look, as long as he's there to finish the chances, they won't really care how they go in. So like we touched on before, I just think this is such a, a good move for for the player and the club. And I think um, with him in their ranks, there's their title race chances have instantly been, been boosted, you know, because now they have a centre forward that, that can compete with Timo Werner at Leipzig and, and Lewandowski at Bayern. So it's just going to be a really exciting time for for the club moving forward, and especially in the last six months of the season. Yeah, on the whole, it's it's an incredible transfer for the Bundesliga, but also a, really an incredible transfer for for all parties. Really, um, I mean, we took a bit of flack on on the Twitter account when the when the move was was confirmed because uh, I think we said you know he the, the Bundesliga gains a world class striker, and perhaps that was a little bit um, presumptuous. But I suppose seven goals in three games, you know, has kind of has kind of justified that in a way. But I think what would be more accurate to say is probably that his potential is world class. Um, I mean that is undisputed because he's deli- he's he's now delivering at a, a level in the top five European league for a, for a, a reasonably good club after having done so well in the Champions League as well. Uh, so yeah, I think the eyes of the world, the eyes of the footballing world, are going to be on Borussia Dortmund now for for the foreseeable future. But yeah. There's plenty to look forward to, and I think he does have that ability of you know when he goes onto the pitch, people are expecting him to score, and it'll be rather a surprise if he doesn't. So yeah, you don't get that regularly, and I think that's that's something we should all sort of appreciate and, and look forward to when he does take to the field. St- 
staying in the Bundesliga, there was also an, another big move, um, another for in the region of 20 million euros, which was probably a fairer sum uh, for this player as opposed to the, the, the sum for Erling Haaland, which was, of course, a release a, a release fee. Um, that is, of course, uh, Danny Olmo, uh, who was acquired by RB Leipzig uh, from GNK Dynamo Zagreb in Croatia. Uh, Phil, I'm, I'm sure you'll have been watching Leipzig closely this season, you know, given the prowess of Timo Werner, as you've just been mentioning, you know, still just 23 years old himself, uh, and the emergence of Christopher Nkunku in the Bundesliga, having moved from, from Paris Saint-Germain. Um, not only that, but you know Julian Nagelsmann still in his early thirties, undoubtedly one of one of the most promising and progressive coaches in world football. Um, I suppose it, it's a long-winded question, but where does Dani Olmo and his versatility fit into the the, the circus that can be uh, RB Leipzig at times? Well, like you said, I think if Julian Nagelsmann could design a forward player or a or a forward-thinking midfielder, then Dani Olmo. He fits most of these specifics on that list. I mean, he plays in such an intense way that not many players can manage on a on a physical and technical basis. But you know, this this move is quite similar to what uh, Dortmund are doing. You know, they find these young players who are maybe uh, flying under the radar in alternative leagues or not quite getting love at their respective clubs, uh, who for whatever reason shy away from academy players. And like you said, it was 20 million plus a little bit more in bonuses. And this is, you know, he's just the perfect profile for Nagelsmann in Leipzig. You know, instantly there are qualities you like there. There's intensity, there's ability to to run at players and dribble. Um, his positional versatility across the front line is will always be welcome, particularly when they sort of look to employ a, a counter-attacking style. But there's also an impressive work ethic there, which I think he definitely... Um, not only picked up from the the Dinamo Academy, but from his time at Barcelona as well, who are always so keen to stress winning the ball back as quickly as possible. So the core sort of ability is there and the talent. And it's just now about how he finds his feet in this in this side, um, who again, like Dortmund, creates so much. You know, how many games have we seen this year? You know, five nils and six ones. And, you know, it just seems normal and it's not. Uh, particularly with such a young side. Um, and, you know, if Nagelsmann can sort of get to him and mould him into a player that he likes and so his his game becomes natural and he finds those automatisms within his game, this could be a really lovely marriage. And I think, you know, Milan were, were quite strongly linked with Olmo and it looked for a while that this would, you know, this move would be leading him to San Siro. But I think Leipzig offer a much, stable, uh, much more stable project you know, their, their history with young players is, is proven already. And, you know, with an exciting young coach like Julian Nagelsmann in charge, this could be a, another really exciting move for, for both club and player. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the upside for this deal is, is enormous because, you know, 20 million euros plus a little bit more in bonuses in this market for a player of, of almost versatility of his age, you know, 21 years old um, and coming into a team that is so attacking and so just free and easy going forward which again will suit um Daniel Mo very well the the upside for the, for this sort of deal is is enormous i think 
at face value, paying twenty million for a player coming from the Croatian league with no previous experience in in Europe's top five divisions, yes, it it may look like a risk. But I think for, for us and for, for anyone who's who's watched him, whether that be in the Champions League this season or further back at the the under twenty one Euros last summer, or even further back than that, I think it's fairly clear that it really isn't that as big a risk. And the likelihood is that if he plays, he will be a success especially under a coach like Julian Nagelsmann with, with his pedigree for, for developing players. Uh, one thing that always gets me about Dani Olmo, apart from sort of his silkiness and classiness on the ball, is that he's, he's a big shooter um, and likes to, likes to pop his shots off. He's obviously been used to playing in a lesser division, uh, in one of those alternative leagues that you mentioned. Is, is he going to get as much space as he's been used to? Will that nullify him in any way? I'm not sure if it, if it will nullify him. I, look, I think with any any time you move to a new club, there needs to be a, a transition phase. You know, people need to adapt to new surroundings, new methods, new personalities, and and this is a perfectly normal process. Uh, you know, joining a new club, especially when it's a step up. You know, um, very few players can can come in and hit the ground running straight away. But it's like we mentioned before, Nagelsmann often in, encourages. Um, bravery on the ball so taking players on shooting as long as it doesn't get to a point where you're becoming wasteful um, he will always urge his attacking players to to try things because you need these in such a rigid tactical system that he likes to employ you need sort of jazzy improvisational players who who can sort of go off the the beat basically and and almost offers you know exactly that he he likes to take players on he likes to shoot from range and honestly you're only better off for having these players in your side and you know like we said it's a quite a unusual path he's taken but when you look at the core players uh, the core talent of the of the player himself like you said this is not a a 21 year old kid coming from Croatia who just uh, could be a gamble he's performed well in the Champions League this year for Dinamo, who were actually quite impressive um, and they had a tough group. So they sort of changed a few opinions after that group stage. And um, there was a Champions League and even in the Euros that you mentioned as well, where alongside Danny Ceballos and Fabian Ruiz, he was probably the standout player in the tournament. So look, you need a, a bit of everything during your development, luck, hard work, talent. And thankfully, it looks like it's all come together now. So it's just about finding that next level and we've seen him prove his ability on the on the top stage, and now it's just moulding him into a player that can be consistent. And I think um, his improvisational style, his bravery on the ball, his willingness to try different things will really uh, suit uh, Nagelsmann. And I think this could be, you know, a real game changer for him. We spoke on a previous pod with David Cartledge um, about almost unconventional route to a top five league, and that was that was before his move uh, to RB Leipzig. And the, the assumption was that he would move in January, and obviously he has done. Uh, but you know, leaving Barcelona's La Masia Academy at sixteen, uh, landing at Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia, you know, playing one hundred and twenty five games there, which is a hell of a lot, helping them qualify for the Champions League group stage, as you've just mentioned. I suppose it's. What I'm trying to ask is, is his tale more of an an, an anomaly or one of uh, bravery, as you've mentioned? And, and is it the old adage that hard work really does pay off? I think at some point you, you get to an age where you need to sit down and be honest with yourself and your career. And a lot of times in these big clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, uh, Manchester City, 
you need to either sit down with your representatives and talk about a clear first team pathway uh, or otherwise it's time to to move on and find one where you, your development will really benefit and I think it was slightly unconventional going to Croatia when others would maybe try France, Germany, even the Netherlands, uh, Portugal. Uh, so Croatia maybe wasn't the the obvious choice for him, but um, I believe his dad was a was offered a role at, at Dinamo as well. So look, I mean, he's his record speaks for himself. Like you said, 125 appearances for for Dinamo. There's a lot of football, um, and he's playing in a in a league where. Dinamo are sort of the top dogs, so he can really come into a side that's settled, structured, experienced, and and just try and be himself. Look, there's always going to be different journeys for players. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, but uh, you always need hard work to to go alongside the talent. And I think being brave enough to to back yourself in an environment like that and think, okay, if I do this for five years, I will find my way back to back to Europe, uh, the, the top five leagues in Europe. And um, and he has done, and that's a credit to him and and his uh, family, and even uh, the coaching staff at Dinamo who managed to mould such an impressive player. And yeah, I just think people get too stuck in what happens and where players go. But I think as long as it's right for you, um, then going wherever you feel that needs to be is uh, will always pay off in the end. We've discussed a couple of incomings to, to the Bundesliga uh, so far in this January transfer window. Uh, but uh, one outgoing, was uh, an interesting outgoing actually, uh, was young Kevin Agustin, uh, who joins Leeds United in the Championship on loan until the end of the season from RB Leipzig. And seemingly with only Patrick Bamford in his way, I think you know he could really stake a claim as Leeds' primary striker if he gets into a good run of games uh, there. He spent the first half of the season on loan with AS Monaco, where he's very much starved of minutes there. Phil, Augustin hasn't really played very much football over the past 18 months. Understandably, Leeds fans are going to be happy with this one, but is that a cause for concern? And would you be advising maybe a little bit of caution with this one? It's difficult because there should be caution with every transfer. Um, unless they're, you know, like top of the, you know, at top of their game in their peak playing consistently every week. There's very few players that can instantly just join a new club and settle. So there naturally should be caution with any signing. And I think he's been quite unlucky as well at Monaco that Wissam Banyeda and Islam Slomani have forged such an impressive partnership because nobody really expected that to happen. Um, but they've, they've sort of become this big man, little man uh, strike uh, duo. And they've been really impressive. I mean, Banyeda has always been really good. Uh, his his record in France is excellent, but Slimani had a couple of difficult years, and and in the last six months he's been brilliant, uh, which led to you know Manchester United and Chelsea and, and Spurs looking at him over the the January window. So, look, I think there's always room for caution with transfers, but my initial opinion is that Leeds should be excited, um, and they did a quite a big job convincing him to to join a Championship side. Um, so. Obviously, you'll never really know how he's going to adapt to a very different Bielsa system. Um, but, you know, until he's actually been in that environment and played a bit, you can't really uh, judge him yet, particularly because he hasn't, like you said, he hasn't played so much this year. But I think uh, based on his his past and his pedigree, I think there's definitely 
room to be excited for, for for Leeds fans for sure. Yeah, he's a clearly very talented player, and it obviously speaks volumes that Leeds fans are so excited about this move um, because of his pedigree in, in sort of in Europe. You know that that seventeen eighteen season with RB Leipzig, where he, he scored a, a bag full of goals. But also his pedigree, the, the 2016 UEFA Under-19 European Championships, where he scored six goals, uh, was the top scorer at that tournament, uh, won the Golden Ball, and was playing alongside the likes of Kylian Mbappe, Amin Arit, uh, Issa Diop, and, and the like. Is, is it a question of, if he gets the game time, he should deliver, but it's ultimately a question of that game time, which is never, which is never a given when, when you're being managed by, by Marcelo Bielsa. I'm personally leaning towards yes. I think what I love about Augustine is is how certain he is in front of goal. There's some players, you can see a hesitancy, a nerve to try and get the exact right moment to strike the ball. Um, but whenever he's through, there's always a, a certainty to his finishing. You know, his shots are always hard and into the corners. Um, there's never any second guessing himself. There's You know, it's often just one touch bang, uh, which is what I really like about him and also quite an underrated part to his game is how technical he can be. You know, when faced with defenders or with his back to goal, he's always got a flick in there or a, or a piece of skill that will gain him a yard. And I think that's quite an underrated part to his game. And, you know, Bamford has, has done reasonably well this year. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, he, he's not really the the most assured presence in front of goal. There's a lot of shots that go over, and particularly on his right foot, he he needs it to be just perfect. Whereas I think Augustin will always try to play on the shoulder, um, and literally whenever he gets a yard, he will he will pop something at goal. Um, and I think Leeds, in even though they've they've dropped off again, uh, which would be slightly concerning to 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 their fans and and Bielsa, of course, um, having someone like that who can just get shots away, not be phased about missing. It's important to note that this is a team that creates a lot of chances, um, like Dortmund, like uh, we said previously with Haaland. So eventually there will be goals. Um, and I think if he can find fitness uh, over the next couple of weeks with the under-23s, impress in training, find his feet in the system, uh, there's potentially a really big promotion boost there for the for the remaining few months. And look, it's a low-risk signing. If it doesn't work out, they can send him back. And if they do, then they've got, a, I think, 20 million euro option to buy, uh, which should be achievable with, with Premier League promotion. So it's a low-risk signing with potentially very high upside. Some have been down on the transfer. Some have been excited. I think there's there's a middle ground in there for sure. But I, I would certainly think this could be a good move for, for him. It's interesting you mentioned the the relationship between sort of Bamford and, and Jean-Kevin and Augustin in terms of how they are in front of goal. I suppose for Bielsa, it could ultimately be a decision between, you know, Bamford's hesitancy versus Augustin's conviction. Uh, and that could be at a wider level, you know, the difference between whether Leeds, you know, end up in the playoffs again or whether they're really continually pushing for, for a place in those automatics uh, come the end of the season. Um, but also, I suppose, because of how Bielsa is with how he likes his teams, you know, he's very rigid in his selection. You know, he's not going to change something if he doesn't feel like he needs to. I suppose it's, you know, his his comfortability with Bamford in the starting eleven versus Augustan's unfamiliarity, which could be seen as a, as a little bit of a risk. But I don't think they would have brought him in if they didn't 
think that you know he could add something to the team and and all of all, all of the things that you've been saying Phil you know I I pretty much echo yes there should be some caution as there is with every transfer but the, the upside is considerable if it does pay off stylistically at the beginning of this season Leeds had Eddie Nketiah uh, as deputy to Patrick Bamford and, and he is he's, he's a different type of striker to to Augustin um who, who looks to offer more in terms of ball retention, ball carrying ability, as well as that conviction in front of goal, comes with a bit more experience and a more physical presence than, than Eddie as well. Do you think that's something that will be important? I think the championship often requires some some steel up front. I mean, Bamford, even though he has missed chances, uh, his, his record is still quite respectable. And why Bielsa likes him so much is that he provides structure. You know, he provides... Uh, someone they can work off and get, you know, Pablo Hernandez into the game and and runners from midfield. So it's not all bad, and I don't want to be too critical on Bamford here because I think he's done an okay job. But just having someone in reserve to to compete with him um, will will be a huge bonus. I mean, it's all about environment. You know, some players can thrive in certain environments. Some players can't take the heat. But you know, we look at Timu Puki, who was bouncing around from club to club. Uh, Norwich picked him up on a free, took a gamble, and, and all of a sudden he's scoring 27 goals in the championship. And now he's doing really well in in, in the Premier League. Um, it's the same with Raúl Jiménez as well, who was, you know, good at Benfica but never amazing. Really struggled at Atletico Madrid, and now he's playing at, you know, one of the top centre forwards in the Premier League again. So it's all about just finding the right fit for you. And I think there's definitely something to be said about Augustin who can you know, finish well, but also provide a presence up there as well. He loves running the channels because, you know, he's played wide uh, during his time with PSG and, and Leipzig, you know, and there's this is quite a layered game here. This is a, an impressive talent. And I think if he if he feels settled, um, there's definitely a chance of him uh, not only displacing Bamford, but uh, really pushing Leeds towards uh, a, a strong promotion charge after a small blip over Christmas. So, um, Nketiah is more of a penalty box striker. It's a shame it didn't work out. Um, but as I said, you know, it's just about environment. And while that may have not suited Nketiah, um, this could be a nice opportunity for Augustin to, to get his career back on track. Swiftly moving on from uh, Leeds United, the Championship and, and the Bundesliga, uh, we're going to go to another European league uh, in Syria, And one domestic transfer that, that's taken place there is uh, that of Dejan Kulusevski, who's really taken the league by storm in his first half season on loan from Atalanta at, at uh, Parma. Um, he's made the switch from Atalanta, his parent club, uh, to Juventus. Uh, and in truth... At first, it was a move that I was quite disappointed in because, you know, he's only had six months really in, in, in Serie A. And I thought that going back to Atalanta, you know, a club of, of bigger stature than, than Palmer at the moment uh, for, for, for the following season would be a good, a manageable increment, a good step up for him. And, you know, he could he could work his way into that team. And, and also because, you know, Juventus have that, you know, tendency to hoover up the talent in in Serie A and and have been known to you know to waste it in akin to you know that of Federico Bernardeschi. So what, when I heard that he was going to be loaned back to Parma for the rest of the season, you know, I was I was pleased uh, because he's done very well there. Seems like an environment that you've just been talking about there, Phil. Uh, environment being very important. It seems one that he's quite comfortable in, um, and he's very suited to. 
And I suppose if if you've seen much of Palmer this season, you, you'll know that's because of because of the high octane counter attacking outfit that they are. Um, you know, they are the fastest attacking side when they get on the ball in, in the league. And I think he'll continue to be a huge presence for them um, until the end of the season. Uh, he's he's hardly missed any minutes, um, and he'll probably reach the twenty goal mark in goals and assists um, at his current rate uh, because he is one of Serie A's expected assist leaders. Um, and, and he has just been fantastic for them. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the move, 35 million euros to Juventus is probably warranted. And I think if they manage him right, it could work out. Uh, but I, I just, I, I approached that one with a little bit of caution. Um, at a, Phil, I'm just coming to you. At, at a wider level, do you perhaps worry that a, a player moving for such a price tag to such a big club after a half, after only a half season at the top level, do you, do you perhaps worry about that? I think it's just how football works now. Um, you know, a young player breaks onto the scene and top clubs are interest, instantly alerted because they can't really afford to miss out on these players um, based on the risk of what they could turn into. Um, I, from Juventus's point of view, I think they view €35 million Euros as a middle ground, you know, where if he doesn't work out, if he, you know, if he really struggles... 35 million is not a fee that will bankrupt the club, uh, right? They, they they don't need this transfer to, to come off. And let's say they do need to move him on, they could easily get 20, 25 million from, from someone else um, due to his age and, and profile. So that's instantly, uh, you know, from Juventus's school of thought, that's a, that's a positive for them. And if we, if we flip it over, if he does well, then he can be a perfectly squad, uh, fine squad player. And 35 million for, you know, five years of service or four years of service could, could be perfectly fine. And then there's the the end of the spectrum where he, you know, he smashes it and then 35 million looks a complete bargain. So in terms of the fee involved, it, it sounds like a lot, but I think for a club like Juventus, it can be written off and it can be a, a bargain in equal measure. So um, in terms of them, I think it's a move that's fine. But I do, like you, share concerns over his style, um, you know, that's what concerns me more about the move. What made him so good during the the first few months of the season and with Palmer is, is like you said, how they thrive on the counter, you know, with Jovino and and uh, Andreas Cornelius. They like exploiting space in behind and his rangy stride and his, his decision-making in particular has been so impressive uh, for someone so young. Um, you know he's he he's really up there for expected assists, like you mentioned, and key passes and and even forward passes. So he can play in midfield on the right behind the striker, and that's what's given him such room to thrive. And you know at at Juventus, whether he's going to be a regular first team member or not, there's not a lot of space to run into. You you often rely on uh, creativity, quick interchanging. There's always a deep block to beat. And, you know, we've seen players, particularly Aaron Ramsey, who hasn't been fit, granted, but his whole game thrives on going beyond the striker and he hasn't quite reached his Arsenal level yet. Paolo Dybala is in and out of the side and he's a very technical uh, player like that. So that is my main my main concern. But I think we just have to wait and see, really. I think um, it's good that he's spending the rest of the season at Parma, who have provided him a nice environment to, to thrive so far. And I think the Juventus will have a look at him again over over preseason and see what happens. Another loan could even be a possibility. So 
like you said, it is slightly frustrating that Juve always seem to be the first to to hoover up these these breakthrough talents. But again, that's that's shown a small sign of changing with with Nicolo Barella um, joining Inter and Stefano Sensi as well. So you know that that could give players a second thought. But I think in the shoes of Kulusevski, if Juventus approach you, it's a big show of faith in your ability, and I think he'll he'll have that desire and, and character to really want to succeed at a top club like this and as we said if it doesn't work out then there will always be clubs looking to take him after that so like we said we just need to wait and see because it is one that could maybe collapse or thrive in equal measure I suppose one of the one of the things that has has been such a good facilitator for why he's done so well at Parma is that there isn't really any any expectation at Parma. You know, they obviously they had their financial irregularities some years ago. They've come back through the leagues and they've got back to Syria. And I suppose the fan base are probably just glad that they're back amongst the big time again. And you know, they've got an exciting counter attacking side. You know, that's going to get bums off seats and you know he's going to get set pulses racing. So I think. It's a great environment for him in the short term. The only concern is, as you mentioned, that the expectation of a 19, 20-year-old being 35 million, going to a European super club like Juventus and how he will adapt to those sort of those, those teams setting up in low blocks and having to play those cute wall passes around the corner and get down the sides of teams. But I think one of the things about Kulusevski that, that will stand him in good stead is that he's, he's versatile. You know, this season playing on the right of a of an attacking trio for Palmer has been the first time that he's really consistently played in a wider role, ha- having played at more of a, a number ten in Atalanta's junior sides. So I think, yes, there's there's as you say, there's scope for it to go disastrously, but there's also scope for it to go fantastically well. And yes. 35 million in the current market for a club of Juventus' stature probably represents somewhere in the middle ground there for, for Kulusevski. Over the past week, uh, we asked you to send in some suggestions for, for transfers that you'd like us to discuss, um, obviously of, of an under-23 nature. Uh, and, and one of those that was sent in was uh, Christian Kouame to, to Fiorentina um, from Mr. Right Heart Lane. That's that's an interesting one because it's one we like we like the look of very much for a start, but it's an interesting one because Kuame is currently out with a cruciate knee ligament injury, and he's a player who's been he's been consistently very good for a not very good Genoa sides over the past two seasons. And given that Fiorentina had few striking options before they've acquired him and Cutrone uh, on on loan deals with obligations to buy, um, it feels like a it feels like a platform. That a low-profile player gets before sort of the hype machine starts churning, you know, after a good, a few good performances. Fiorentina will buy him in in the summer for ten million euros, and I suppose from our perspective, it's it's a small gamble given that they don't know how he'll return to fitness after such a serious injury at such an, a premature point in his career. But like the Kulusevski transfer, could end up being a really shrewd piece of business because. I, for me, Phil, I'm going to come to you in a second, but for me, I'd be thinking that, you know, he gets to settle in his new environment for six months without the pressure of having to, to kick a ball, which a lot of the time when players move to new clubs, that six months transition phase 
sometimes fan bases can get on their backs. Sometimes the media can get on their backs because they haven't adapted well. And that may be due to outside factors, you know, such as settling in a new country or settling in a new city with a new language or whatever. So I think the six months between now and the end of the season, it should present a, an opportunity for Kwame to, to settle into his new environment and, and, and hopefully hit the ground running when he gets back to, to full fitness. I mean, Phil, I don't know what your thoughts are, are on that, but it, it's, it's kind of a transfer that we don't really see very often, uh, a club purchasing a player who's out for six months. Yeah, you're right. That's true. Um, I really like this player, actually. I think Kwame is a, a great talent and, um, I think if he wasn't injured, he would be going for a lot more money uh, than what he did. Um, I mean, I know Crystal Palace had 20 million rejected uh, during the summer. Um, so that just speaks to, to how highly some rate him uh, in certain quarters of the, of the footballing world. And I think he's a really interesting prospect. His profile is quite unique, where he's, he looks quite thin and a sort of rangy but he's got a real speed to him a real strength to his game and I love his his sort of left-footedness as well there's always something so satisfying about left-footed players I don't know what it is they just look so nice on the ball and they seem to strike the ball so cleanly um, and I think like you said having some time to to fully continue his recovery sort of become familiar with his new surroundings the coaching staff how they want him to play you know Fiorentina have struggled of late but if you actually look at the talent in the side, you know, they've got Castrovilli in midfield, Chiesa in a slightly more attacking role. They have Dusan Vlaovic as well, who's been really impressive this year. You know, that's a good string of talent. And um, if that's the way they're going, I think the recruitment has been really impressive. And I think Kwame, while he hasn't exactly been prolific, his goal record is, is really impressive. And I think there's a lot of uh, core talent to work there. Um, because he still can be quite uh, a bit all over the place at times and look like Bambi on ice. But I think for sure, when he gets in front of goal, there's like an ice ice to his finishing, a coolness to his finishing that could really sort of blossom in, in future. And I think this is a really good name to, to point out because he won't catch the headlines yet, but I think it's definitely uh, a story and a, and a development to keep an eye on for sure. We're going to stay with uh, Syria and, and Italy for one more transfer before we head over to Brazil. Uh, and it's it's one actually which concerns Serie B. And it's sent in um, by Footy Index TT. Uh, he's asking about sort of the, the ceiling and, and, and how Gianluca Gaetano uh, is going gonna, is gonna to fare with Napoli at the end of the season uh, after he returns from his loan deal at Cremonese. In all honesty, he, he's a player we haven't really seen a great deal of, but he was, we're aware he was Napoli's captain in the UEFA Youth League this season. Uh, and just having a, a brief look over his stats and stuff, you know, has a very good record in, in, at the Primavera level, you know, 17 goals, six assists last season. In our opinion, it's probably the right time for him to be getting competitive league football on loan um, in Serie B. If he does well, you'd expect him to feature more for Napoli next season, given that he's been involved on the bench a lot this year. And I suppose his loan is most likely an indication that Gattuso and his staff recognise that he's a player. You know, he's he's a player on the brink of, of breaking through, but needs that first team experience that perhaps they, they can't quite give him at the moment, um, given Napoli's current situation, being around mid-table where they won't want to be. And I suppose given Napoli's ageing squad as well, you know, next season could be a good year for him if he does the business in Serie B uh, and or in, if he proves to be quite impressive in pre-season. 
as we touched on before, we've seen the likes of Dejan Kulusevski make that transition from Primavera football to, to Serie A. So, you know, why can't Gaetano do that from Primavera to Serie B to Serie A? Um, the only concern would be that the Napoli may need a tactical switch to accommodate him into the first team. Uh, as Gattuso seems seems set on using a 4-3-3 uh, with wide men at the moment, um, given that Gaetano is predominantly a 10 you might find his minutes coming in in, a, in, a, in an 8-slash-10 hybrid role. But, yeah, thank you for sending that one in. Um, it's, a, it's a transfer we weren't really aware of, um, but just having looked into it and having watched you know short clips of Gaetano, um, he does look like a player that we'll be keeping an eye on um, more in future, for sure. Just as I mentioned before, we are going to jump over to Brazil, and and Phil, you've got a bit of you've got a bit of experience watching Brazilian players. The the big one in this transfer window is, of course, Renier Jesus, um, another brilliant Brazilian teenager, you know, who heads for Real Madrid, um, but will join up with Raúl González's uh, Real Madrid Castilla side in the third tier for, for the for the time being. Um, which, in all honesty, having seen him for Flamenco and Phil, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, is probably a level below his station, but the alternative is a loan and it's perhaps better to let him settle in Madrid before farming him out to, to somewhere in Europe so soon. Um, I mean, you've seen a bit of the Brasileiro over the past few seasons, Phil. In terms of comparisons to Europe, at what level would you put that league and, and how do you think Renier will assimilate? I mean, the level in Brazil is always difficult to gauge because, you know, the good teams, Flamengo, Santos, Palmeiras, they're, they're often very good. And the the awful teams like Avaí, Chapecoense, even Cruzeiro are bad, right? So there's 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 never really any middle ground. There's always you know good teams and awful teams, um, and there's no surprise that Flamengo have been extremely dominant over the last twelve months. Um, you know we we saw it in their title win and and even the Copa Libertadores. Um, but what's so interesting about Renia is that he came into the first team almost fully formed. You never felt like this was a 17-year-old attacking midfielder uh, from the youth team who'd, who'd, who'd impressed. You know, this looked like a player five, five or ten years his senior. Um, and even looking at his build, he's tall. He's he's already filled out quite a bit, um, which is again another interesting part to to why he he may have succeeded so quickly. But look, I think they've done the right thing. Um, like Vinicius and, and Rodrigo, there is a, even though they're young, big price tags mean big expectations. Um, and I think by letting him just settle down in the in the Castilla side, there's you know people forget about him, not forget about him, but the the focus is back on the first team. There's no instant demand for him to to settle and shine. And I think even for him at his age, there's so much to learn even at that level. Um, you know, he'll be being. Uh, sort of coached by Raul as well, which is incredible for someone uh, of that age and who will have maybe actually missed him playing for Real Madrid, which is, which is a scary thought. Um, but, you know, this is a club legend. And, um, you know, Real Madrid have actually done quite a good job retaining youth talent recently. So I think it's a, it's a big move. It's a high-profile move. And I think, you know, there were obviously other teams interested as well, like Everton and Manchester City, um, I think PSG even spoke to his his representatives as well. But Real Madrid pro- provide a nice jump into the into the top division, and he's got obviously Rodrigo and Vinicius there who can help him. And uh, this is a very impressive player. He looks so polished for someone so young, and um, 
I, I, obviously there are it will take time you know that I think but away from pressure there will be a a nice sort of transition phase for him and he can acclimatize both on and off the pitch I suppose it does come down to that acclimatization um you know he's an 18 year old kid coming to Europe for the first time I mean he's obviously going to have to be carefully managed but what you mentioned there about sort of his stature and you know his direct running style and how he didn't look out of place as a 17 year old coming into this flamenco side you've probably seen them as, as well as I have but comparisons have been made to Kaka uh, and it's they're they're easy to see in terms of uh, just looking at Renier and it's obviously very premature but would you say it's a fair comparison in terms of stylistically what we've seen so far yeah, well, I think it's. I think there's definitely similarities. The way they carry the ball, uh, it's very, you know, distinctive. They're very strong. It's hard to to budge them off, um, and they cover large, so much ground. Honestly, when driving through central areas, and that's that's key, especially in such a physical, high intensity game where we're heading to now. But I think they're they're also slightly different in in sort of Renier with his attitude to goal scoring he's very much a second striker that's where I think he thrives anyway you know his goal scoring instinct has been really impressive he 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 often finds himself as as the near post run to get flick-ons and headers from crossing or um, he's doing cute one twos on the edge of the box before finishing really smartly so I think there are similarities between him and Kaká but he's almost this eight ten nine hybrid that can sort of do everything and I think now he offers such a unique profile for Real Madrid because not many of their midfielders score goals Tony Kroos is, is excellent at what he does uh same with Federico Valverde who, who has been a bit of a re- revelation this year you know uh, Luka Modric has is been one of the best midfielders in the last decade but his legs are, are slowly leaving him and he's never been a, pro- a prolific goal scorer. The same with Isco. Hamez is completely out of the fold. So, you know, even though we spoke about him being uh, initially starting in, in the Castilla side, there's definitely a, a pathway into the first team for him there. And I think, you know, Real Madrid get a bad reputation for managing young players because of the hangover from their Galactico side, maybe. But the, their mentality has changed. Their, their transfer strategy has changed. And, you, you know, you can see Rodrigo, Vinicius, Kubo, even Martin Odegaard to an extent, and then managing these guys, and you don't get the Chelsea vibe from them, where you know there's a potential sale to be made. You 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 can slow if you look deep into the side. There's there's clear first team pathways for all of them, and I think uh, the other two Brazilians have been managed well uh, and carefully, and their form's been inconsistent, but they're they've been given time. You know they're being coached well, and I think there's more than enough examples for for Renier to follow, and I think he's slowly making his way through the Brazil sides on the international stage. And as we've seen with Gabriel Martinelli at Arsenal, you know, it's not completely out of the question that he can come in and do a job, you know, a really impressive job. So I really like this transfer for him. Uh, I think he's quite a unique player who has a a really impressive set of attributes to offer. And um, I would be quite surprised if he doesn't turn into a very top player. Another young Brazilian player, uh, not a teenager, but uh, a 22-year-old, is uh, Bruno Guimaraes, who had been linked with Arsenal. Uh, he made he made a, a late switch to, to Olympique Lyonnais uh, late in the January tr- transfer window. Um, he's a player that you wanted to, to touch on, uh, Phil. You know, given the links that he's had to Arsenal, but but also because you know he's he's currently in that Brazil under 23 uh, pre-Olympic tournament um, alongside Renier. 
uh, and you've you've seen a bit of him. I and mean, what what's he what's he all about? It's strange because he's just sort of come out of nowhere. Um, he was never, you know, this wonder kid in the youth in the youth levels that often get picked up and and then ten minutes later they're all over YouTube. You know, he was rejected by by the big clubs in Rio uh, during his teenage years. And then he, you know, he worked his way up from the from the fourth division to the third tier, and then to the first tier where he was picked up by uh, Atletico Paranaense. And um, since signing on a permanent deal in in twenty eighteen, he's been an ever present and so consistently impressive um, for for a side who haven't always been great, but I think he's really taken them up a level. Uh, and now they're they're sort of a pretty well established mid table to fifth place, sixth place side. Um, he's just a really well-rounded midfielder. You know, he can he can sit in front of the back four and distribute and break play up, but he can also play as a as a number eight driving from midfield as well. And he's got a really smart touch. You know, he's uh, he's got this trick in his book where he likes to nutmeg players and, you know, he's, he's shown a penchant for arriving late into the box as well. So I think as we spoke earlier, you know, Atletico Madrid were interested and they actually had a first refusal option after signing uh, Renan Lodi from the same club. Um, but obviously, Juninho, who is now sporting director at Lyon, spoke to spoke to him. And, you know, this is a really smart move because, as we said with Haaland, Ligue 1 is, is, a, is still a top five European league, but it's not on a frenetic level like the Premier League or or La Liga, for example, where it's a nice, smooth transition where he can settle without that instant demand for success. And as we said, Lyon are a good team. You know, they, they'll have a lot of the ball. Um, there's a lot of young talent there already who they have a history of proving they can mould young talent, which is always good for a player because there is a clear progressional path and a clear first-team pathway, you know. And um, we've seen Lucas Toussaint. Uh, he's ready to join Hertha Berlin in January. So this six months are all about him finding his level, you know, settling in. There's already a few Brazilians at Lyon already with Thiago Mendes and Marcel, which is always nice, and Marcelo in defence, for example. So this move, just I really like it. I'm a huge fan of the player, and um, it will be really interesting to see how he does over the next few months because I think come the summer he's he's guaranteed for that first team role, and. Um, Leon always do well in the Brazilian market and I think that would have really spoken to him on a personal level so he's definitely one to keep an eye on for sure That is all for part one of this January transfer special as we're just about to hit the hour mark uh, thank you to Phil for coming on to this one. Um, it's been great to have your insights on on the really big moves of this window. Um, and thank you to those of you sending in your suggestions for us to discuss. Um, some really cool ones in there, uh, Kuame, Gaetano, etc. Uh, we'll be looking at a few others you've sent in in part two, uh, which we'll release later in the week. Uh, Phil, it's been great speaking. Looking forward to, to having you on again. And, and looking forward to seeing how these moves play out and, and how these how these players get on. No, it's a pleasure, mate. Absolutely uh, love coming on here, talking with you. And uh, the new handbook is looking really exciting as well. So I think we've timed it nicely just after the January window. And fingers crossed, it should be out very soon. So keep an eye out for that as well. 
yeah, that is one definitely to, to look forward to. I mean, I, I can't wait for it. It's probably, you know, the best one that we've done yet. And yeah, I'm really, really happy with how it's turned out. Um, that's all from us at Scouted HQ. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, look out for part two in the next few days. Bye for now.